celebration. And I want us to look at a familiar chapter in Scripture, a letter written by Paul, a a prison epistle that God used in his life to encourage believers. Now, here was the background of the believers in Ephesus. They were rich beyond measure, yet they were living as beggars. So they were living beneath their privilege. Paul writes this letter to encourage them and to remind them who they are in Christ. And it's interesting, isn't it, that he wrote it from prison. To tell you the truth, if I were writing from prison, my letter would probably be a poor, pitiful me kind of letter of the the pain and the anguish and the isolation. But yet Paul uses his pen to encourage people. Now, folks, we're living in a day where people need encouraged. Do you believe that? For instance, we live in a world of social media, and oftentimes the world of social media is not about encouraging others. It's about us telling everybody else how great our life is. But the truth is, everyone needs encouraged, and it doesn't cost you one cent to give somebody a good word. And, and the older I get, the more, I, it's hard sometimes, isn't it? But the older I get, the more I want to critique, or the less I want to critique somebody, and the more I, I would hope I would just offer a good word. So this morning, Paul gives us that in chapter 1. And he talks about being elected, being adopted. He talks about being redeemed. And then he talks about what should make us want to celebrate. And we see that in this chapter this morning. So if you have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 1, say amen. All right, here we go. I'll go ahead and read uh, 14 verses. You ready? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, here's where I want to begin this morning. Your salvation is not an afterthought from an almighty, sovereign God. God loved you before the foundation of the world. God's desire for everyone in this building is to know him. God made a way so that we could know him. And he did that by way of sending his own precious son, God in the flesh, to a cross that we could all understand. That's the cross we've sung about this morning. Last night in the Bengals game, I noticed that Derrick Henry the superstar running back for the Titans, had an earring, I don't, a nose ring, that was a cross. Now, first of all, anybody who can put something in their nose like that has to be tough. And secondly, for someone to take the deliberate action of putting a cross there, to me, represented somebody who wanted to show the cameras something that was important to them, the cross the cross. Now, I'm not, I don't know if Derrick Henry's a born-again Christian or not. That could be some good research for some of you. 
But I do know one thing, the cross speaks volumes. And I praise the Lord for it. So your salvation is not an afterthought. Verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God's desire, God's pleasure for his will is for you to know his love. Now, I want you to think of somebody in your life that maybe had a good influence on you. It might be parents, it might be grandparents, it might be a a teacher or a coach. Uh, Someone who had an influence in your life about the gospel. God was using them, and maybe you didn't even know it at the time. To the praise and glory, verse 6, of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7, if you don't have it circled or underlined in your Bible, uh, this is the time to do it. You ready? In him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Verse verse 7 is loaded with Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about what he did. Why? Because God is the one who does the saving. And my prayer is, listen, that God does something in your life, in my life, in the life of the church. Listen, God wants the glory. God wants the glory. I mean, I, I didn't hear Tim and his team singing when they were laying one stone at a time in there. But can we build a wall for the glory of God? Can we make a bucket for the glory of God? Can we uh, mow the yard for the glory of God? Can we pick up trash in the church for the glory of God? The answer is yes. And you're going to find exactly what you're looking for. So tomorrow, I don't know. I, I know that we got a bunch of kids play, praying for a snow day. But tomorrow, I don't know, life might get back to normal in some sense, meaning people might go back to work, school might get back on the normal. I don't know. But I'm telling you, you're going to find what you look for tomorrow morning. Anybody hit the snooze this morning? Go ahead, you can tell me. Anybody this morning, the alarm went off and you hit the snooze. Raise your hand. You lazy folks. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Isn't that the best nine minutes of sleep you ever get in your life? Or do you hit the snooze and then lay there and wonder how many of the nine minutes you have left? You get what you're looking for. And my prayer is this morning that when you got up, you're thinking as you come to church, Lord, I don't know what you have, but my prayer is that you'll use Brother Greg and your word to speak to my heart. You'll find what you're looking for. Jerry Vine said, if you're in the ministry for any reason other than Jesus, you're destined to become a bitter old man. Now I'm starting to get it because from time to time, Renee will say, hey, Jerry Vines. Hey, Jerry Vines, remember the words, remember the words. You get what you're looking for, and that's what Paul is writing about. Even from prison as he pens these letters. Listen, the book of Philippians is about joy. Paul said, I've learned that in the circumstance that I'm in, that God's actually using it, even in my chains, for his glory. Verse 8 which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence or understanding. Verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, 
which he purposed in himself. The will of God that I may know him as my Lord and Savior. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are on heaven and which are on earth in him. And in him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Look at me. How many of you really believe God works all things? Oh, that's so easy to shake our head to, isn't it, and to say amen to? Because we should. But I'm telling you, in the valley of the shadow of death, when the wind has been knocked out of you, Sometimes you'll watch a ball game and you'll see this big lineman just laying on the field, uh, not moving at all, and, and, and all of the trainers are hovering over him. And then finally the announcer says, it looks like he got the wind knocked out of him. I think that can happen in life. I think it can happen spiritually just as well as it can happen physically. I think it can happen emotionally just as well as it can physically. There will be times when the wind gets knocked out. But I'm telling you, our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the plan of God. And the Bible says now we see through a mirror dimly. Now we see him part. But there will come a day when we'll understand what God was doing. And we will praise him for the way he did it. Even though we didn't understand at the time. For some of you that are in this building grieving. I want to encourage you. Alan and Muriel, everything's still a go for tomorrow? Tomorrow night at 6.30. Those that are watching, uh, Alan and Muriel are going to lead once again something called Grief Share. And we have found over the years that this has been one of the most meaningful ministries our church is involved in because so many people hurt and don't know how to process it. Alan and Muriel lost their teenage daughter years ago. I wasn't their pastor then. I can remember going to their house and Alan... I can remember looking at you, and, and it, was a, it was a look of hopelessness. And here they sit next to Lindsay and her precious family and grandkids and Kyle's kids, and, and God, in the midst of that great loss, continued to bless their family. You know what I'm grateful for today? I'm grateful for the fact that this world is not all there is. I'm grateful that even in the midst of life, there's hope. And you're not going to find hope in a man. You're not going to find it in me. You're not going to find it in a church or a denomination. But you will find it in Jesus Christ, and that's who we preach. In Christ and Christ alone. Verse 11, let me read it again. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. We just sang, I am alive in Christ and he's alive in me. I'm alive in Christ. Do you know who wrote that song? A man named Jeff Perkins. Years ago in the other building, he came as a music evangelist with Terry Fields. He played that song on the keyboard. Do you remember that? And he told us about writing it. I'm alive in Christ. Jeff Perkins is a little younger than I am. And a few years ago, Jeff Perkins went to heaven. I'm alive in Christ. You know what his inheritance is? Life beyond the grave. Life beyond this world. 
And a matter of fact, this morning, physically, we're all dying. You say, Brother Greg, don't tell me that. Uh, listen, we're all dying. The heartbeat I just felt is one less than I'll ever have. Amen? But the good news is there's an inheritance beyond this life. Verse 13, in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also have believed, listen, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What does that seal do? Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The guarantee, the Holy Spirit of God living in you. So this morning, this, this passage is really broken down into three, three sections. The work of the Father, which is what we'll call election. God does the saving. The work of the Son, redemption. And the work of the Holy Spirit or protection. What are you saying, Brother God, Greg? That God not only saves me, he keeps me safe. The Bible says no man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're saved. You're not hanging on by your fingertips. Remember growing up on a swing set? I, I used to hold on to that swing set. Or they call them at school monkey bars, right? They still, hey kids, they still call them monkey bars? Monkey bars? And, and remember holding on and, and you thought, boy, I, I, could do, I could do pull-ups all day. Oh, my goodness, could you imagine trying to do one right now? I need a little help. And for you to be redeemed and for you to go to heaven, you needed help. And Jesus died on Calvary to pay a debt for you you could never pay yourself. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, look at the first part of this passage. Let's look at verses 3 through 6 one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places of Christ, and just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. The work of the Father is election. God is the one who does the saving. Now, this is such a huge mental acceptance that, Brother Greg, you're telling me that God is the one who does the saving? I'm telling you that God created you to be saved. The cross was not an afterthought. The cross wasn't something that God said, oh, now I'm going to have to take care of man's simple problem. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It's the sovereign God who brought you here this morning. It's the holy God who gives us breath. It's the holy God who gives us life. This past week, I heard Renee's voice in a tone that I've never heard in my life. She and her sister had just taken their, her mom, her 93-year-old mom, to the doctor. And uh, they, I could tell she was winded on the phone. And she goes, we just got mom in the car. And as soon as she said that, she started hollering, Mom, Mom, and hung the phone up. 
And I thought, oh, my goodness, what's happened? What's happened? And I just returned from Illinois. I was home. I got in the car, and I started making my way. Uh, once I understood they were on their way to Grandview Hospital. God is the giver of life. And let me tell you something this morning. The Bible says it's appointed unto man wants to die. Everybody in this place today has an appointment if Jesus doesn't come first. And you're going to be right on time. And here is the sobering news, folks. Renee's mom is 93 years old. None of us are promised tomorrow. And I believe that's why Paul says, to the glory of God for everything that happens. And folks, instead of worrying about tomorrow and things we can't control, instead of wondering what's going to happen in elections or down the road, instead of worrying about stuff we don't control, how about let's just living for the Lord today and praise Him for every day. And if you, if you wake up tomorrow morning, wake up and let your feet hit the ground and say, Lord Jesus, I don't know what you're up to, but you've, you, you, you've chosen to let me live another day. So would you... Would you just lead me to somebody that might not know you? Would you let me get into a conversation that, that would tell somebody about you? Would you help me give it the best you've got? You know, I, I love sports as much as anybody in the church. What I can't tolerate is laziness on the court. Like if the ball gets stolen from me, Doug, don't be walking back the other way. Otherwise, you're going to join me with a nice seat. Now, I played a little basketball at Sinclair College after high school, and this was my view for most of the season. And about every game, they would let, they'd put me in a couple minutes before halftime. So I tried to position myself where the coach would see me right next to the manager at the end of the bench. And with about two minutes to go, he hadn't called me yet, I would look to the manager and say, hey, give me some rosin, give me some powder. I'm about ready to go in. Coach didn't call me. Give me a little more rosin. Coach didn't call me. What I wanted to make sure was when I did get called, I was ready to play. And folks, when you look at this passage, listen to me. God does the saving. God does the saving, but he calls us to get in the game. He doesn't call us to just get it and sit in a pew. He calls us to take it to a world, the, the light in a dark world. And let me tell you, it's darker than it's ever been. But the grace of God is still just as powerful as it's ever been. I want you to think back to the day you were saved. I want you to think back to when you gave your life to Christ. The grace of God, the power of God, has not diminished one bit from the time he, you gave your life to Christ. He's still in the business of changing lives. He's still in the business of bringing revival. And we have to recognize something. When you think about being saved, it's God's power that does it. Now, in your outline, I, I told Marcia this morning, Marcia, I've got eight points, and you should have seen her roll her eyes. Eight points, okay? Here we go, number one. One clear sign of being saved is the desire to live an obedient life. 
And let's just go ahead and piggyback that with number two. If your life's characterized by a pattern of conscious sin, you really need to take a look at whether or not you're saved. What do you, what do you mean, Brother Greg? When you give your life to Christ, he's done a work in your heart. He's made you new. Your desire, my desire, should be to wake up in the morning and want to please God, not the old nature. And when my life is constantly about the old nature, listen to me. The question is, have I really repented of sin? Have I given my life to Jesus? One writer said, when your most cherished thoughts are hatreds, if you have a determined will, I'm not going to forgive, you might want to take a good look this morning. Has Jesus really forgiven you? Has your heart really been changed? And I believe the old nature, its desire is like the devil. I want to please myself. I want to please myself. And I believe, folks, listen, that God is calling us this morning to just take a good look. Don't worry about other people. Take a good look at yourself. Because election results in holiness. When you're a child of God, when you're saved, he calls you into relationship that's life-changing. Now, we're good at this, confession. Confession is when we get caught. Now, Jeff, you work with donuts. Am I correct? With a, with a restaurant chain. And, uh, and I would imagine from time to time, Jordan, that maybe he brings a donut home from time to time. Renee buys things like that for us at our house. And I like slip and have it without her knowing. She, uh, she's been away, so we bought these muffins and brought them home, and there were four. And she came home last night and said, I see you're enjoying those muffins. And I, I said, I'm sorry, but I really don't know what you're talking about. And she said, oh, no, the proof's in the pudding. I see what you have enjoyed. You're right. That's confession. Repentance is, I won't do it again. You make a conscious decision not to. But as soon as she is away from the scene, my old nature says, two out of four ain't bad, let's finish them off. What are you saying, Brother Greg? It's one thing to cry cock crocodile tears over being sorry. It's another thing to repent of your sin. Anybody want to say amen? Does that affect anybody in this room this morning? I mean, how many times do we trip over the same thing? The devil doesn't need to throw me a smorgasbord of stuff. I trip over the same things. The good news is God can use a heart that not only confesses, but one that says, I can't do it on my own, God. I'm sorry. I turn from it. And I trust you. Election should result in holiness. An election results in a relationship. And it's called adoption. Adoption. Now, in, in this room this morning, maybe you were adopted. Maybe you adopted children or, or, or have a sibling that's an adopted brother or sister. And, and we need to be reminded of something. As an adopted child, I have every right based on the authority of a family member, as if I were born in blood. Amen? When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you become an adopted heir of the king. Because I go to church and because I try to be a good man or a good woman, no, but because of the love of God and because of the cross of Calvary. That's the good news. Mark your Bible. 
leave it open here, and flip back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Paul writes, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, and if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Go ahead, go ahead and go back to Ephesians. Here's a good word. As God chooses us, as we receive him, the Bible says we are adopted into the family of God, and we have a relationship with a holy God, and the word is Abba. It's, it's, it's the personal term for for, for daddy. It's not like God is way out there and, and I wonder how we understand him. It's a personal relationship with a holy God made possible, listen to me, because a virgin-born Savior, sinless life, and substitutionary death on Calvary's cross. That's the good news. A young mother uh, had, a, had a new baby and after the first few days, she talked to her mom and said, Mom, I can't believe our child doesn't have the same color hair and the kind of skin we have. And she said, that's okay, dear. Did you forget you're adopted? The mother was like, that's, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And folks, don't you forget that when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, it's all about him. Him. And our adoption is complete because of the, of the cross. And our adopt, adoption is complete because of, listen, the second part, his redemption. Jesus. Jesus. Now let me go back and get number three for you. Father is the Christian name for God. Father, my heavenly Father. If you're here this morning and, and maybe you've lost your dad or perhaps you've lost both parents, I want to remind you that you're not fatherless this morning. You have a heavenly father in heaven who will never leave you nor forsake you. When you gave your life to Christ, there was never another day and never another moment that you would be alone in this world. That he walks with you. Amen. Now, I, I love, you know, when you have that firstborn, they kind of control everything. Especially when you become grandparents. That firstborn grandchild really sets the tone for the rest of the family. So when Aiden was born, what's he going to call me? I mean, for a while I thought, you know what would be a, a novelty papaw name? Pistol Pete. No, that doesn't sound too intimate. That doesn't sound like a, an, a relational Abba kind of relationship. But I remember when he just decided to call me Papa. Now, some of you have names out here. I know you do. 
Now, men are pretty uh, conservative when it comes to those kind of things, but it's not your decision. It's really what that first grandborn comes up with. But you ladies, wow. You go to a t-shirt shop, there's about eight different names for, for grandmother, but each one is personal to you. Hey, guys, I don't care that your, your grandson calls you Pop or Pappy or Grandpa or whatever. All I know is my four call me Papal. It's a personal relationship. Now, if Father is the Christian name for God, let's be reminded that God has a plan, and his plan involved redemption. Number four, redemption is the payment or price or ransom. Now listen to what the Bible says about this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, things that are here today and gone tomorrow, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. You're not uh, saved by the blood of goats and calves, but it was his own blood. He entered the most holy place, listen, once and for all, having attained eternal redemption. Who did? God the Father. Jesus, who died on Calvary. You know this verse, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Who did? Jesus. Redemption is the payment for your sin. You might be here this morning and say, I don't even think anybody knows I exist. Oh, yeah, they do. A sinless Savior died on Calvary because you exist. There's nothing you can do good enough to get you to heaven, and there's nothing you can do bad enough that Jesus didn't pay for on that cross. I love that. I love that. You know, our kids are different, just like yours are. If I ask Drew if he needs money, he never needs money. He never needs anything. You have to force it on him. If I ask Stacy if she needs anything, she'll say, yeah, Dad, how much you got? You know what? We really need to come to the place where we recognize, Abba, Father, I need you. I, I, I know you, but I certainly don't know you as Abba. And I need to. Number five, our redemption was paid for with the precious blood of Jesus. Amen? It was costly. Um, his redemption led to my relationship. Dottie Rambo said he looked beyond my fault and saw my need in her song. And I love what songwriter Cindy Walker wrote. Once I was clothed in the rags of my sin, wretched and poor, lost and lonely within, but with wondrous compassion, the king of all kings, in pity and love, took me under his wings. Oh, yes, his royal blood now flows in my veins, and I, who was wretched and poor, now I can sing, praise God, praise God, I'm a child of the king. Oh, yes, oh, yes, I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows through my veins. I can sing. Yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the king. Why? Because of his precious blood. 
You see, the work of the Father is election. The work of the Son is redemption. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that gives us protection, that keeps us saved. Number six, redemption brings forgiveness. Amen? It brings forgiveness. John Calvin said in preaching the very, this very text in 1850 or 1558, he said, God puts our sin out of his remembrance and drowns it to the depths of the sea. And moreover, he receives the payment that was offered him in the person of his only son. We call that propitiation. That when Jesus died, it was what God had to have for the payment for our sin. What does he do with it when you give it to him? Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Jeremiah 31, 34, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know him from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. You know what the difference is between you and, and God? other than being sinful and sinless, we can't forget like God can. You say, Brother Greg, there's somebody in my life that there's absolutely no way I'll ever forgive them. Maybe you're here and you've been through a divorce and you're thinking, that was such a downtime in my life, there's no way I'll ever trust another man or another woman and you've already made the decision up. You're probably right, you can't. But there's one who can help you put the pieces back together, and one who can help you find joy even if you feel like you'll never have it. So there's redemption in Christ. There's adoption because of the love of God. But that leads us to celebration. Number seven, grace brings riches. Look at verse seven and eight. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he had made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Christians should be the most joyful people in the world. You show me an old crabby Christian, I'll show you somebody that's probably dealing with something. You say, Greg, Greg how can you know that? I've, I've been there, I've lived that. We should be the most joyful people in the world. Quit walking around like the weight of the world's on your shoulders. What can I do for a friend that, that doesn't care about Christ? First of all, get on your knees and pray for him. I'm not talking about sitting down and watching TV with one eye and, the, and you know, social media with the other eye on your phone. I'm talking about turning everything off, getting on your knees and saying, God, only you can break this heart. You know what I love about something I heard about the prodigal this week? that the father, the same father who was looking out across the field for the prodigal son was the same father who left and went after the brother who was mad about the party. He cares for everybody. He cares for everybody. And I'll close right here. Number eight, inheritance brings rewards. Inheritance brings rewards. The celebration of redemption. It leads to celebration. And I want to remind you this morning that this world isn't all there is. There's coming a day, there's coming a better day, amen, where we will know Christ. One of the most moving things 
that I remember from the Holy Land years ago was we went to the Holocaust Museum. I, I had no clue this would affect me like it did. Of all the children that were killed in the Holocaust, their names were continually read audibly. There was a story about a doctor who was with a group in what's called uh, uh, the Warsaw Ghetto. And this doctor took it upon himself as they would bring these young boys into this concentration camp. He began to befriend them and help them. And the day came when the doctor knew that they were coming to get his boys to take them to be killed. And he knew it was coming. And he, and he said, listen, boys, get ready. It's almost like get ready for church, get ready for worship. Uh, listen, a, a grand day is coming as those boys marched out for that transportation to take them to be executed. And the doctor, uh, his first name was Janus, J-A-N-U-S, I believe it was. He got in line with those boys. And those guards recognized him and they said, doctor, and he just shook his head, I know what's happening. And they tried to persuade him to step out of line and he said, I'm not stepping out of line. I'm going all the way with these boys. And he went with them to death because of his great love for them. And I'm telling you this morning, there's nobody that loves you more than Jesus. You say, Brother Greg, I've done some things in my life that are so unlovable, and, and we all have. But when he died on Calvary's cross, he simply said, I'm going all the way for you. And I'll offer you a way to be saved if you come my way, if you come to me. I want you to take your hymnal, and I want you to turn to page 333. 333. And go ahead and stand. Stand. 